All right. Welcome back to Pedagogy on Grata. I'm joined here again with our Clark Santos, and we're going to be doing something a little bit out of the ordinary today. Um, we're going to be talking about a court case, but I, I think this court case is actually um, relevant to education. And uh, I just want to make the caveat, though, before we begin having this conversation, neither of us are a psychiatrist and neither of us are lawyers. So this is our sort of... Uh, unqualified opinion as outside observers, but we have experience with autistic people, and this case has a lot to do with autism. Um, and it also is going to have a lot to do with behavior. So I just thought it was going to be an interesting piece. And I'm also happy to have Clark back on. He's one of, I think, three people now I've had on the podcast more than once, other than my my former co-host. Um, uh, and I, I just thought, as soon as I heard about this case, I thought he'd be an interesting person to discuss this with. Um, so we're going to be talking about the the uh, incel van attack in uh, Toronto. So in 2018, there was a uh, man named Alec Manassian who drove a van um, through a downtown Toronto, which is actually where Clark lives, and uh, killing 10 people and injuring 16 others. Now, his reason for doing this attack, uh, this sort of like terrorist-style attack, actually, I think it is a terrorist attack, was he... Um, he hated women specifically because he felt like he was involuntary celibate. He identified as a group of people called incel, um, basically because he couldn't find a partner. Um, he felt uh, the need to violently assault women and men who he felt were more successful than him in terms of finding partners. Um, so pretty rotten person, uh, for lack of a better terms. Um, but he tried to plead criminally um, not insane, uh, or sorry, criminally not responsible due to insanity, um, due to an autism diagnosis. Um, and this is kind of a, a shocking thing. No one's actually made this claim before in Canadian court. Um, and we'll, we'll unpack this together, but I'm going to let um, Clark respond to this first and just see what his thoughts are about this whole trying to claim not criminally responsible for a terrorist attack due to autism. Yeah, I think the guy was uh, just trying to grab whatever defense he could. You know, like you said, no one has claimed autism as a defense. So, you know, I, th I think it was his only real, real option, especially nowadays with autism being so not popular, but it's been, you know, it's in the media more. It's it's out there more. It's all over the news, so I, I definitely think that he was just trying to throw a Hail Mary. And, uh, you know, fortunately, that did not work. But through that, he, he has painted, uh, you know, a, a negative perception of autism for people who might not be uh, educated in autism. Yeah, you know, I, I, I thought even the reason why he, like, tried to make the claim. So his lawyer claimed that because as part of his diagnosis that he didn't have um, empathy. Well, that was why he was not criminally responsible. So he, and he pointed to psychiatrist assessments showing that he didn't have empathy, um, which is low empathy is, a, like, a common symptom for autism if we look at the DSM. Um, but not all autistic people have that symptom either. But my, my big problem with that is that Basically, anyone on the of the psychopathic or sociopathic spectrum is going to have low empathy or no empathy 
depending yeah. on where they fall on that spectrum. And a lot of people with autism have low empathy. But if we removed all people from the jail system who had those diagnoses, um, I feel like we'd have very few people left who had committed very serious crimes because a lot of the people who are going to commit our most serious crimes are going to be sociopaths and psychopaths. I mean, I would think on some level, if you're going to be a serial killer or a serial rapist or a child molester, you have to be sociopathic or psychopathic. Like, I don't, I, I can't imagine that normal functioning people are, are going around, as, you know, feeling really sorry for killing dozens of people and then still going around and killing more people. Uh, so I just thought like the practicality of saying all those people are no longer criminally responsible was kind of crazy. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I agree. Just, uh, uh, just because someone has autism or just because they have some diagnosis doesn't mean they're devoid of a personality. You know, you could you could have autism and you could still be for, you know, you could still be a not great person. You could you could have a different diagnosis and you could still have like your own individual personalities. Those things don't have to necessarily uh, affect one another. You know, not not all like you were saying with autism and, and empathy. You could have autism and just have a personality of someone just who may not be that empathetic. Or you could be someone who has autism and their empathy is is connected to that, I think. So I think that uh, it, it's, especially with courts, it does have to be a, a case-by-case basis. But by his defense of disclaiming autism, it just doesn't make sense because he's trying to, he's trying to play off on who he is is because of his diagnosis. And I, I don't think that's accurate at all. Yeah, I, I think some of this applies to the context of him as a person, too. So, like, we're talking about someone who was basically a fully functioning human being in the sense that they they had a job. In fact, they were a software developer. Um, you know, they had a driver's license. They were able they rented the vehicle to do commit this uh, this uh, terrorist attack. And um, you and I have worked with people with far less um, intellectual capacities than that who, you know, need daily support with everyday things like brushing their teeth or, you know, using washroom. And those people, uh, I, I think, showed far more empathy than to go out and become a terrorist. I'm not saying that I, I've worked with a lot of people with diagnoses like this over the years. Um, I'm not saying that every person I've worked with didn't have um, or had enough empathy to never commit a crime. I'm, I'm sure that I've worked with some people who are likely to commit crimes in the future or have already committed crimes. Um, but, the, you know, this is a really heinous act. And uh, I would think that, you know, majority of people with autism would not be likely to commit this crime. No, de- definitely not. And this guy, this guy was what, like 28 years old, roughly yeah. something like that. Working a normal job. Yeah, you don't just wake up one day and, you know, and go, oh, maybe running over a whole bunch of people isn't such a, you know, isn't such a bad idea. It's, you don't, you don't live that long with it and not make like serious mistakes and then just wake up one day and be like, oh, I, th- I think this is going to be fine. With the, with the people that we work with or the, you know, the people that, uh, that have either committed crimes or, you know, they punch staff or stuff like that. There, there is a history there and it's normally not just like, Oh, I woke up one day and just felt like I'm going to punch so-and-so it's, 
normally there's there's a lot that goes into it. It's usually a breaking point or like there's other factors at play. And if you know, this guy said he was an incel. He didn't just wake up and and was an incel. Mm-hmm. There, I don't know. I I tried searching online to see if this guy had a history of like other violent crimes or anything of the sort. And I I couldn't find anything. So that that that's why I think the whole autism defense is didn't make any sense because if autism was like truly the reasoning, he wouldn't have his first real case at almost thirty. We would have. Yeah, really good point. We would have seen something in it, like in childhood, in his teens. It's like the people we work with. It's it's almost like like on a clock. We uh, I, I know some guys where it's every year he's gonna have one big bust up because that's that's just routine, right? Like it's uh, he's still living with his diagnosis and it, it still does come up, and that's why they they need support. But you you see something almost on schedule. This guy, this guy definitely didn't live almost 30 years and then just finally, you know, all oh, the autism took over and I went out and I ran over a whole bunch of people. There's 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 no history. Yeah, I, I think just a sort of I feel like you're so in this industry that sometimes you talk with the the understanding that other people know what you're referring to. But I think, uh, you know, I think what Clark is referring to is just like these crisis moments of autism. So like people who have autism will often have crisis moments where they're overly um, overly stimulated and then have like a sort of a, a breakdown moment where they can be incredibly violent at times. Not always, but they can be. Um, and, you know, we call that like a crisis moment. And uh, you, you definitely see with autistic people and people with um, diagnoses, like there are some real genuine crisis moments. And sometimes people will sort of learn from that behavior how to like fake a crisis behavior when they want something as a form of manipulation. And again, that's not to say all autistic people do that, but that's definitely something that can be a learned behavior. Um, but this, this is clearly not a crisis behavior of autism. This is clearly like he, if you read about the case, he fantasized about doing this for years and he had like a very specific motivation. This isn't like I was overly stimulated. So I murdered a bunch of people. This was, I hated women. Um, I identified with this terrorist organization ergo i decided to act on that urge and kill people which is you know just beyond messed up for lack of a better term yeah my, my rule of thumb with uh, working in this field has always been if you're blaming your autism then that's not the cause i i had that's a really good point <laughs> i had i had a situation where i had you know one of the one of the kids when i worked at the group home punched the staff in the face was I walked into the room and then he immediately calmed down, sat on the ground, told me he's calm. That's that's showing me that there's that there's thought process there. Like he, you're you're thinking, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to punch someone who's smaller than me. And now that Clark has walked in and he's a big guy that I know who's able to handle the crisis situation, walks in, I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna be calm. That shows me your your thinking. That that doesn't show me normally in a in a crisis situation. I'll have guys that weigh a third of me go at me with everything they have, and that tells me okay, he he's really in crisis. There's no, you know, it's like it's like when you're so angry playing a video game, you like spike your controller. That's you you lose that that thought process. Oh, maybe spiking that controller isn't going to be such a good idea. The same way as attacking a staff who's three times my size isn't a great idea so 
I walked in and yeah, I had I had to call the police at that point because the staff member had just been assaulted. So police came in and you know was talking to the individual, and the individual said, "Oh, I did it because I have autism." And fortunately, the cops had talked to me beforehand, and the cops were were, were very awesome police officers. They they had a they had a you know a decent understanding of of autism, you know, especially given that it's not a requirement to to be in law enforcement. Uh, at least as far as I know, but they, they told him, no, that it's not because like, if you can say that it's because of your autism, then it can't be because of your autism. So, and, and from what I've heard until I left that place, never really assaulted anyone else. As far as I know, just because I think it was one of the first times that he as a person was held accountable for his actions and not necessarily Oh, you did this because you know you're you're living on this condition, and you know that that's the reason. So when you don't have a fallback, that you know, it, I think it just uh, made it a lot that that process of wanting to do something like like that again a lot more difficult because I think he understood that. All right, you know, it's not <laughs> the the autism defense isn't isn't going to play in, and I think that's that's what this uh, the incel guy tried to do. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I haven't. I guess we haven't clarified this yet, but the judge did find the argument invalid, which yeah. uh, that happened this week, which is what made me think about the case. But um, I, I 100% agree with you. And this is something I think you... So this is, I think, where we can bridge it back towards the teacher who works with um, a student with autism or a student who has you know, a diagnosis of sociopathy or ODD or um, personality disorder. Um I think you do have to evaluate what choices are chosen versus what choices are crisis behaviors. And I, I think how you react to them is going to be differently. Like I've had some very low IQ students for lack of a better term or clients that I've worked with who will really genuinely have a crisis moment and like do something super violent and hurt people. But you know that that person didn't really mean to do that. Now, I don't think that means that they shouldn't be held accountable to their actions on their level, but the level of accountability is clearly vastly different. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't believe that that person should have the police called on them, especially like when we start to get to people who um, don't have the ability to speak, you know, like obviously someone who can't speak can't be, I don't think they belong in jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, I think it, it really, it depends on that level of culpability and the level of intention, intentionality. But you definitely have on the opposite on the spectrum, you know, especially with people who aren't autistic but are on that sociopathic spectrum who, like, they're just, they can behave incredibly violent and often use that violence as a form of manipulation in that they will make a demand and then they'll straight up say to your face, like, if you don't do this, I'm going to hurt someone or I'm going to hurt you. Um, uh, and I, those, those situations are actually, I think, more challenging in a way. Uh, maybe you can comment on that. I, I agree because... At that point, they're just creating, they're just making it difficult for whoever is there to work with them to figure out, you know, for lack of a better, like what's real and what's not real. Yeah. What is, what's choice and what really hasn't been a choice in their actions. So, yeah, it, it makes it difficult. And that's why, like, whenever I do have to get police involved, I always try to. To explain, I always try to talk to the police officers before they walk into the house because 
I'll oftentimes I'll, I'll say like, look, like I don't need this guy to, like, I just, I just need support. I just need, I just need you guys there. I need, I, you know, sometimes just, you know, with, with a lot of these guys, they, they, they see police officers and like they, they, they freeze up and sometimes that's what you need. But there have been times where I've had to tell the police officers, look, he has the diagnosis, but like in my best opinion, I, I think that this is the, these are choices that he's making that I don't think he can necessarily blame the autism for. And it, it, that is difficult because at that point we're making such a, a big decision. It's, you know, like we're, we're calling the cops on, on somebody and we have to make that decision if, if we believe you know, are, are they actually like, is this criminal behavior or is this just a kid who's in genuine crisis? Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, what, let's let's zoom in on it a second, because I'm, I'm thinking more in the classroom context now. And I mean, you're working in a classroom right now. And yeah. just on that idea of accountability of um, how important do you think accountability is for someone who has a diagnosis? Do you I know, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, I, I'm thinking of very specific circumstances in my head, but I'll, I'll let you give your sort of insight first. I think accountability is very important. I think accountability is one of those things that could help these guys achieve a lot of their goals because, you know, I've, I've had, I've had, I've worked with people even in the classroom where there was just this behavior over and over again, but they would never get called out on it because it was oh he's just doing this because this is his routine or this is what helps calm them but if it's an undesired behavior you still have to to work on it whether or not it is voluntary or involuntary so when you make them accountable for it regardless of it's if you know they're doing that behavior voluntary involuntary they're not going to want to go through that process of being held accountable over and over again. Like I worked with, uh, with a student who would, you know, every time I take him to the washroom, he would, you know, stand up, he pee. And then he'd immediately just like, you know, go side to side and pee all over the floor and the walls and whether or not that's, you know, you know, if he's doing that on purpose or if it's an un, you know, an uncontrolled behavior, I, I had to make them clean it up. That's that's what happens. If I pee on the walls, I have to clean it up. You pee on the walls, you clean it up. And then, you know, unsurprisingly, that, that behavior of peeing all over the place started to go down. And I think it's yeah. because I, I held him accountable. He yeah. didn't want to clean up his own pee off the walls and off the floor, so he just stopped peeing on the walls and on the floor. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I mean... Um, I, I've noticed recently that there seems to be this growing consensus in, within education that um, people with, who are diagnosed, for example, with oppositional defiant disorder, which is on that sociopathic spectrum, but on the very lowest level, um, that they are shouldn't have consequences and they, they shouldn't be held accountable um, is because they struggle with consequences. But if you, if you actually look at the DSM, which is the resource doctors and psychiatrists use, it says that um, it's very important to hold these people accountable and to have co consistent consequences. Otherwise, their condition will worsen. Um, so I don't know really why the education field is out of touch with um, the medicine field on this particular issue. But I, I can't imagine anyone improving 
without, you know, some level of accountability. I know, like, even as a kid, I remember um, being, I, I remember I was in a very well-behaved child, and I remember thinking, like, oh, I'm not going to do something because I don't want the consequence of that. Like, I remember having that that thought process. Yes. And I remember also consciously <laughs> deciding, like, maybe the consequence was worth it. Like, I remember getting in fights at school because I thought, like, oh, I'll probably get a detention, but it's worth it. It's worth it, so I'm going to get in this fight anyways. Um, so I feel like oftentimes when people, when we see a kid get in trouble for the same thing over and over again, it's because they're consciously making the decision that the consequence is worth it. Yeah, and as I was going to say, like, you made those decisions because you felt those consequences. Yeah. And when you were like, oh, I'm not going to get into this fight because... I don't want to go through those consequences, then those consequences have been put into place to, in order to keep those undesired behaviors down. And a lot of people think that consequences are just like a tit for tat thing. Like, Oh, you did something bad. So now something bad has to happen to you, but you really have to frame consequences as, you know, just things you need to do in order to, to help that person grow in order to help them achieve goals. So whenever I have to give out consequences, I, I, I always talk to my guys. And I'm like, look, I'm not doing this just because you did this. I'm doing this so you can try to think and try to understand that what you did was not okay. And this consequence is, you know, has been given and has been, you know, designed, you know, to, to you know, to fit the crime. Because they, they need to, not to feel exactly what it is that they've, they've put out there. But there, it does it does change when the individual has to go through something that's not pleasant as well. And you know whether that be you take away someone's video game for for a week or whatever it is. But you know I'm I, I'm a fan of you know it's 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 more than just like you know making oh you do this this and this and everyone gets the same consequence. I think they all need to be individually designed and applied uh, appropriately in order for it to have have an effect like that. Because that's all consequences are to me. It's just like opportunities to to help them learn from whatever you know behavior it is that they've done. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And I agree with you. I think that part of the problem is that there's this like con uh, conception that um, all consequences are inherently punitive. And all consequences are inherently this mean authoritarian um, thing. Um, but I don't, I don't think they have to be. I think the consequence needs to be proportional um, to the issue at hand. And I think it should be meant to be providing a learning opportunity. I, I often like to, um, and there's advantages and disadvantages to this, but I often like to just frame it as a choice to the students. Like if uh, a student is making a negative choice, I like to say to them, hey, this is your warning. You know, you can make a good choice here, and this will be the result of a good choice. But if you make this bad choice or continue to make this bad choice, I'm, this is what will happen. And uh, that's on you, and that's your decision as to what you're going to do. And just really put that emphasis back on them. Like, this isn't going to be about me. This isn't, like, me trying to punish you. I'm just letting you know that if you make this bad choice, this will be the result of that bad choice. Yeah, no, I'm very much the same way. It's whenever I have to, you know, like, take something away, I'm like, look, I'm going to want to take this away. I see you, you know, I, a week has seven days. I'm not taking this away from you every single day. I, it's, I have to do this because you made the decision to, 
do whatever it is that they that they've done. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I always try to to put it back on them. And you know, it's the same thing that that we have to go through. Everyone that lives on this planet pretty much has to go through. We all make decisions, and those decisions have consequences. So I think by like framing it in the same way it helps them have a better understanding rather than like oh you know i did this and this is just you know punitive and this is just for them to be mean or something like that as well yeah i agree and i think some of this like it's about the the emotional way in which you handle this like i'm I'm not a really big fan like i think there's a time and place for scolding but at the same time i also think i'm not a big fan of like yelling or or getting in someone's face or really make it an emotional issue i'm much more a fan of making it about the person and about their their choices that they're making rather than about some emotional characteristic and and focusing on how we how we make this better and i think it's also about how you pair that with other things like if you are if anyone's working with an autistic person and the only thing they do to support that autistic person is punish them when they make bad choices well then i don't think they're doing their job and i don't think they're making uh, a good choice of how they handle that client or student. But I, I feel like removing consequences off the table is also not benefiting the client or the student because it's setting them up for false expectations and it's setting up them for a world which they can live and do whatever they want and think that nothing bad will ever happen as a result of that. Yeah, and, you know, like, for even, even just now in this conversation, like, consequence has only been used in a negative term. So when I work with my guys too, I, I find you have to reward the good behaviors too. Because sometimes just by rewarding the good behaviors, it'll keep them wanting to do good behaviors instead of the undesired behaviors. So, you know, and, and I tell them too, look, just as when something you don't like happens to you as a consequence or when you do a negative behavior, when you have a positive behavior, when, when you make good choices, you're going to get reward. Well, rewarded because how, how oftentimes like a kid, you know, like they'll wake up, they'll make the bed, they're, they're behaving all day, but that only real interaction comes when they do something negative. Like what, why was that good for, you know, what, uh, you know, their days are normally like 12 hours. I was good for 11 hours. Nothing good happened. I was bad for one hour and then I got all these consequences. So that's why I'm always, I'm always heaping praise on them. I'm always trying to to bring them out into the community or, you know, let's, let's go out, let's grab some treats at Tim Hortler. Every time I take my guys out, I always reward them for having a positive experience. Yeah. We, 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 me and you have taken guys out all the time and, you know, every single time I, I always tell everyone, Hey guys, we have a good experience. I'm going to reward you guys on the way home every single time, just because I find you, you have to reward good behaviors. If consequences, you know, for the actual meaning of consequences, then then good things should happen for for good behaviors as well. So I think I think it has to play on both sides. You can't just you can't just intervene when when someone is, you know, presenting undesired behaviors. You have to also be there when they're making good when they're making good choices, because you have to remind them that, hey, you know, you're making some good choices and you got to you got to keep putting that in them sometimes because I don't think they they hear that enough. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think with that, you also have to, for people to care about the consequence from you and not just see it as like you're being a jerk, for lack of a better terms, they have to understand that you're coming at it from a place of caring about them. So like whenever, especially when I work with more cognitively aware people, I think that I'm always trying to reinforce like, no, I'm really vested in your interests. Like I'm really in your court. I'm really in your camp. I'm here to help you. Like, 
I'm on your side no matter what, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to also hold you accountable. But yeah. you, just trying to really focus on building that rapport because I think if you're that person, you have zero rapport with a student or a client and you hand out like consequences, like that's going to mean something very different from coming from a person who they have um, a really strong rapport with them. Yeah. And even even in crisis situations, you can still applaud someone for making some good choices. Like back in that story, yeah, like back in that story that I was saying where the, where the, you know, the guy punched the staff. I still told him, hey, I'm very glad that you were able to, to calm yourself down and to sit yourself down once you saw me come in. Thank you for that. You, you, you know, you potentially saved pe- more people from, you know, getting into situations that they didn't want to be in. And you, you helped end things a lot sooner. So and, and I remember he was he was kind of appreciative of the fact because you you need something when everything's just doom and gloom it's hard to pull yourself out of that. Yeah. So I always try to give positives in even the the worst situations because you you need you need that little bit uh, boost of morale and they need to see that like oh I I had this moment and everything was bad you have to you know you got to find the the flowers kind of growing out of the cracks you know. Yeah, totally. I, I I do know that like sometimes you'll hear clients or students say that like when they're the type of student or client who has these violent outbursts, you'll hear them say things like, um, well, I kept going afterwards because I knew I'd already lost like the rest of the day type thing. Like yeah. I'd already ruined my day. So therefore, I felt like there was no reason to be behaving well after that point. Um, and I think what you're saying is a really good way to like try and combat that mentality and attitude. And some of that's just going to be de-escalation and talking them down, but yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I, I think this was a really good conversation for uh, um, addressing both this this kind of interesting but awful court case on hand, and then its implications for um, working with students who uh, have autism or other um, diagnoses that might lead to violent behavior. So I really appreciate that, Clark. Um, um, do you have any final comments you want to give the audience? Um. When when you're blaming it on the autism, you're you're taking the person out of it. So you know that that, that that's that's really it. You can't you can't be doing that. You know it's not fair for all the people out there who are just struggling. And, yeah, or who have autism and don't make these type of choices. Yeah, you know. So it's I don't know. I just I, I think it was a real crappy thing for him to do, on top of the already super crappy thing that he had done. So I'm just I'm just glad that, you know, the Canadian courts got it right this time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, uh, to our listeners, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Make sure you check out next week when we're having our debate on the Reading Wars topic. I'm super excited for that. If you uh, like the content, don't forget to like or subscribe. You can check us out on Facebook or uh, you can check out our articles at www.pedagogynongrata.com. If you're interested in purchasing our content, you can go to www.teacherspayteachers.com and search Pedagogy on Grata. That's it for now, folks. Until next time.